Good evening. Oh, let's. And sorry, <laughs> I just uh, some things just went off in the kitchen. I'll be back in one sec. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter, the podcast where we talk about rugby. And today you have me, your host, it's Phil, and I'm joined by Ant, and it's just the two of us today keeping it tidy. So we have plenty to run through and we'll try and uh, get through everything as quickly or as thoroughly as possible. Um, Ant, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Um, yeah, excited to jump into, into the app. We've got a lot of stuff to cover, as you said. Yeah, it's quite an interesting time, I think, just the sort of transition between URC and then the international, the sort of autumn internationals, I think they're called officially these days. Um, So Springbok excitement, some disappointing and some not so disappointing URC derbies. And of course, we we also will touch quickly on the uh, Rugby World Cup, the Women's Rugby World Cup, which is happening in New Zealand at the moment. But um, yeah, let's uh, just dive straight in I think and on that um, we've seen the quarterfinals happening or that have just happened this past weekend in New Zealand so that's the Women's Rugby World Cup um, we saw four matches which were all uh, one-sided so France beat Italy New Zealand thumped Wales England overcame Australia fairly easily and Canada beat USA um, and you were before before we press the record button you were just saying about the the disparity between the t- two teams um, for each of these, qu- caused quite a lot by the difference in professionalism. So, do you want to just touch on that a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been one of the narratives of the Women's World Cup so far is that you know some of the teams are you know fully professional. So, looking at England and I think Canada, um, and to an extent France and New Zealand, I think are like semi-professional, but they've got a legacy of like success. Whereas you know, kind of all the other teams, for the most part, are either very, very, very new in their professionalism journey or are fully amateur, like the, the Springbok women, for example. And so, well, we've seen a lot of fight and guts shown by a lot of the women's teams, um, you know, such as the South African team running the French team quite close in that opening fixture. And um, we've also seen a lot of blowouts, such as the South African team having, what, 75 put on them by the English women. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's, I think that, that that hasn't dampened the enthusiasm and excitement from the tournament. I think people recognize that there is that disparity um, and that's causing it, but, that was shown pretty pretty blatantly in the quarterfinals, which are all, yeah, as you said, very, very, very one-sided. So I think now that we've got closer towards the pointy end of the tournament, the, the kind of top four that one expected to emerge have got there. And yeah, hopefully that leads to four very competitive games um, this weekend. I think the France-New Zealand game should be an absolute cracker. Yeah, I, I think you're right, or I hope you're right too. And I, from a neutrals perspective, I think it's sort of, Without wanting to do France or Canada too dirty, it seems like all roads have sort of led to the big England-New Zealand showdown in the final. Um, England have obviously been unstoppable for however many games it is now. Well, New it's Zealand 20, are, 29 now, maybe? 29, that's crazy, hey? 29 games yeah. unbeaten. Um, and New Zealand obviously hosting and... Uh, Five times in, winner. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and also wanting to get revenge from getting thumped at the end of last year when they went over to England. So... Maybe France and Canada. In my eyes, if either of them win, it will be an upset. France uh, um, obviously have looked pretty good. They were very strong defensively against England. So their game against New Zealand, I think, is the one to watch this weekend. Um, 
and it's just a special mention from us uh, to Amy Baratron, the South African ref and a friend of the pod who has been appointed the ref for the Canada-England game. So always great to, to get a semi-final under your belt. Yeah, no, it's, it's great exposure for her. Um, she's, yeah, in certain circles being always quite highly regarded in South Africa. So it would be yeah, lovely if she could keep performing and hopefully you can even get a final. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, I'm just moving moving over to the URC. So it was the last weekend this week before we go on a break for the internationals. So this is the seventh round um, and sort of the first leg of the tournament, I guess. Uh, for most of the non-South African teams, uh, there were no internationals involved. So we saw a lot of not necessarily second choice players all the time, but a mix of first choice and then the players who had to step in for the internationals. For the South African teams, we were expecting um, all the internationals to be missing, but I think it was just the sort of very frontline Springboks who didn't play. Um, and together with that, we saw the Sharks push quite close against the Bulls until about the 60 or 65th minute before the Bulls sort of ran away with it. Um, and the Lions were winning at halftime against the Stormers and then disappointingly just couldn't put up a second half performance. Um, but uh, before we, yeah, before we touch on those derbies too closely, let's go into some winners and losers. So, Ant, do you want to tell us firstly about your winner? Um, yeah, I think from a South African perspective, I don't think anyone really shone hugely. Um, I don't know if it's maybe because the squads are already announced and people are less to play for. But I think someone that did certainly, you know, if there was still a spot to play for, where he could have taken it, uh, it was Hank of the who had just yet another unbelievable performance. Um, you know, really just showing his desire and work rate to just be involved in everything and fight you know, for the last minute. I mean, his try was really good strength and footwork and awareness shown to get up off the floor and just fight over that line. So, yeah, I think I mean, he was, in my opinion, the, the local outstanding, outstanding performance. Um, I think if you listen to the, the commentary from the Lions-Stormers game, you might have got a different impression since you know, they were espousing everything the Stormers did as if it was the greatest moment in rugby of all time. Um, you know, a little kind of routine over the line chip was touted as being basically like, a, you know, equivalent of a Maradona hand of God type situation. So, um, yeah, I, my personally, I think Hen Henko was the stand up there. Um, and as an Arden Lion fan, I'm sure you can enjoy uh, agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've enjoyed just watching him every time, seeing him go. Like, he's he's actually scored a couple of similar tries like that now, where he, he shows that good appreciation of the laws, um, but also just that sort of strength, that really low center of gravity that he has and that being able to break through. And I think a sign that he's getting the sort of more popular exposure now is like I was watching out somewhere and people who didn't know many of the players uh, that well, but they were like, oh, wow, who's that number 13? He's really good. Like, who, I've never heard of him before. So he's starting mm. to make that level up to even like the more casual supporters being like, wow, that he's turning heads, I guess, so to speak. I mean, my, my dad can definitely be counted among, in that number. Um, he doesn't, I mean, he watches this fair amount of regular, yeah, what he was watching at, um, watching the game with me on Saturday and he was blown away by Hinko's performance. Um, yeah. So a, yeah, I'd probably describe him as a casual fan. I mean, he's very impressed. Yeah, and like you said, he's putting his hand up. Uh, we'll touch a bit more on the SAA team later, but he is, he is in that, so it's another opportunity in the next couple of weeks for us to hopefully see him. 
Um, mm. I, th I, I think for me, uh, one of the winners, and even though he's been playing well, I don't think he's anywhere near sort of a national setup. But um, I was very impressed, and I have been actually for a couple of weeks with um, David Krill. It is David, right? I suddenly doubted myself of the first name for the Bulls. Um, I, I th yeah, I think that's. I think Richard is the one that went overseas. Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. Um, so he had a really good performance this week. He was involved in just about all the um, good attacking plays that the Bulls were doing. But even over the last couple of weeks, he's been playing center, wing, fullback. He's been sort of put wherever he's been needed, but he's he's been really solid. He's been, like I said, very impressive on attack and just quite often that link man, almost like um, getting through the hole and then passing and making that final pass for whoever uh, to score the try. And I, I, I was really impressed with him over the weekend. But like I said, I, I, I don't think that he's necessarily anywhere near the sort of Springbok reckoning. But it's nice to see a player like that sort of doing well. Yeah, I think that's a very good, like, fair assessment. He's done very well for um, the Bulls and there's versatility. I mean, I think it's one of Jake's things that he's really been pushing for. Um, and you're seeing it in most players being moved all over the back line. Um, but, you know, he's kind of shining in that role and playing really well. Um, he's certainly grown a lot over the last year or two since, since he kind of started starting. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now for the... Uh... I guess the, your loser of the week. Is there anyone you'd love to single out, or maybe not love as much? <laughs> I mean, no one I'd love to single out, but um, I, yeah, there were noises of um, well, rumors, and Twitter was certainly getting a bit excited and agitated about the potential eye gouge from Dwayne Vermeulen. Um, so, you know, not to try to put any fuel on fires or spark any rumors, but the, the footage that I saw did look pretty. Um, Pretty dodgy, um, kind of in a ruck scuffle, kind of reaches round the guy's head um, with his hand kind of across his face and pulls it back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even if it's not my guy, it's pretty, yeah, not very nice thing to do, I suppose, at the least. But, yeah, if, there, if there's anything substantiated to that, it's, it's really just kind of a, I mean, very grubby. You know, it's the same thing, you know, Scott Bergen did it. It's just completely not okay if it is the case. Um, so, yeah, hopefully... There is nothing in it, but it's certainly not going to do his reputation in Ireland any any benefit, particularly again after after Scott Berger and Tommy Gerald. Yeah, for sure. I think it's always not always actually, because sometimes obviously players can over dramatize something. But normally it's quite telling where the whoever's been on the end of something sort of reacts so badly and so. Um, I always um, think about Adrian Strauss when that Samoan player sort of grabbed <laughs> and like just how crazy he went in the moment. It's like everything goes out the window and you just lose all sort of, you know, um, yeah, worry about any repercussion. It seems like when eye gouging is obviously a serious thing and you're just sort of panicking or re reacting strongly. So that reaction also maybe leans towards something did happen but yeah i think we'll wait and see what um what the verdict is yeah and for me losers i think just thinking about the game so as a lions fan i was really frustrated on the weekend it was a pretty good first half and then the second half was just nowhere um I feel like almost, or this is the third time we've done the winners and losers, but I'm going to mention hookers again. So this is the third week in a row. So not just um, PJ Boerta, who was really disappointing in the second half missing lineouts, but also Joseph Weber again. There was some, I think, mm -hmm. at least two, two or three chances where 
It was good weather. There was no wind. There's, it wasn't rain like the last time where I criticized Weber, and he was still struggling with his throws. And I mean, he's he he's not in the Springbok squad for a reason now, and I think everyone's seeing it on a weekly basis. Um, and it's just as as a fan, as a whether you're a Stormers fan, a Lions fan, in the case where PJ Burt is not hitting his throws, not being able to hit your lineouts is just. I mean, for me, it's obviously become an issue. I've, I've criticized people for three weeks in a row, but it, it is frustrating, and it's something. It's a core role which they need to get right. Um, but also, just Lions in the second half, I, I, something that I did mention to you earlier, and was just the not necessarily the game plan itself, but just the thinking on the spot. They took two quick taps where they were five points up, and they could have taken poles to put themselves. Um, over a, con a converter try ahead, and it was just stupid play. And obviously, in hindsight, it's easy to say they didn't score from that. But without hindsight, you've just got to take your kicks. You don't need to. And they were doing it in the first half. They took all. They were nine or twelve nil ahead um, just from taking kicks. But then they seemed to lose their heads a bit in the second half. So just the Lions' mentality, I think, for me, they're they're my losers. I think that's fair. I mean, the Lions are quite a young, inexperienced team. Um, and they are prone to those kind of brain fades, if you want to call them that, uh, or be kind. Um, but they are—they yeah, do seem to just do have moments where they just kind of do really inexplicable things. Um, but it, you know, to be fair, it's, it's not just the lines. I mean, we've seen it time and again of experienced captains just making bad decisions about when to go for polls. I mean, you saw it in the Scotland-Australia game, which we'll get to talking about later. I mean, huge number of chances from both teams. Um, to go for polls and instead going for the corner and just not getting the result. Um, you know, so it's, it's just, it, it blows my mind that people still do it all the time. Um, it would seem like it's obvious not to, anyway, because essentially by going for the corner, you're saying, well, I've got to be, I've got to score at least every second time I go to the corner, which is definitely not the case for it to be better than a kick at polls. Um, you know, you guess, obviously you feel, you get a feel for the game and stuff, but it, it does just seem that, teams get overexcited and back themselves more than maybe they should. Yeah. yeah. And when your lineouts in the Lions case, your lineouts a bit sketchy, your scrum is struggling perhaps against a, a better opposition scrum, then yeah, then maybe a tap is a little bit better. But in this case, it was just no need to do any of those things. Go for the points. Um, yeah. So uh, from the URC derbies, I mean, we've been mentioning the Lions and the Stormers a lot. Uh, is there anything else? From that game, or perhaps from the um, from the other game, from the Bull Sharks, that particularly caught your eye. Um, the Sharks' lack of being clinical, I suppose. I mean, it's yet another game where, on paper, they've probably got the stronger team, maybe arguably, but just in you know, a silly moments and bad execution at times. Um, just, you know, kind of leaving them stranded. So, yeah, it was disappointing from, from a Sharks perspective. I mean, particularly when the score blew out to 40-20. Um, you know, it's good that they got a try back in the end, but, I mean, it was not a not a good result in the end. And, and I suppose similarly for the Lions fans, you know, they also would have thought that they could have held out or should have held out better than they did. Um, but, you know, credit to the Stormers and the, and the Bulls for, for pulling on the wins. Yeah, I mean, even just from a general South African perspective to not be able to hang on for bonus points, which could be crucial come you know the end of the tournament is pretty disappointing, especially when, like I said, the Sharks were winning after 60 minutes, the Lions were winning at halftime, to just lose the game completely in the last quarter. 
pretty disappointing and hopefully that's not a sign of things to come um yeah i think for me the sharks like just the softness of most of the tries that they concede is really disappointing like um i think that you know we, we've spoken about guys like um Apalela Fasi and some of the other backline players who i think are really good obviously on attack and with ball in hand but um something i don't know if it's structurally or what it is but yeah it's just like it's too easy for other teams to not necessarily score tries because it, you know that that happens but just um whether it's from deep or on the break or just how quickly teams can convert like deeper possession into a try without having to have a sustained build up to break the team down that seems to happen too often i think with the sharks yeah no exactly it, it does just feel something fundamentally slightly off there i mean i was you know i think there was hope that um with neil powell arriving that might get sorted out and it, it may yet you know this break might be very very good for them and um, take some time as a group and just kind of sort that out but yeah for, for the players they have we've been saying for a while they need to be more ruthless more clinical um and, and put teams away. I think that that softness you mentioned is a very good description of how some of their play goes down. Yeah, for sure. But saying that, you know, they um, were, were out, were without quite a number of their main stars, I guess, the Springbok stars, the likes of Kulisi and Itzebe. Um, yeah, but I mean, they still had Thomas Detoy and Fassi. Yep, uh, sure. Yeah, so I was going to say like, yeah, Jaden Hendricks or maybe one of the others, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, on paper, they should have still had a team that could have at least um, been closer, if not won the match. So no doubt disappointed with that. But um, going into the business end of the competition, they they should have a stronger team. And hopefully the experienced players will also be able to help uh, some of the others who are there to do a bit better. Um, yeah, I think let's move straight into the two international matches that we saw this weekend. I think let's start with the, just chronologically, with the New Zealand-Japan match, which was played in Tokyo. Um, it was the biggest crowd outside of the Rugby World Cup that Japan has ever had for a rugby match, which is always promising and nice to see. Um, I know we we just caught highlights. It wasn't televised on our side, and it was a little bit early in the morning. But um, I, 8 a.m. It wasn't that early. <laughs> A little bit, a little bit early on a Saturday morning. If you've had a big Friday night, I guess. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think from my side, Japan, obviously during the World Cup and after the World Cup, they've had this reputation of being like a really exciting team to watch. And I think between the World Cup and now, they've sort of transitioned a little to being a little bit more functional. But I think there were signs in this match again, and even in previous matches that. And with their coaches like Tony Brown and Jamie Joseph, that they are a really exciting team to watch. I mean, I'm always reminded of the best sort of Highlanders teams when they had that same coaching duo. And in this match, um, yeah, they ran New Zealand close, uh, much closer than I think most people would have thought. They scored some scintillating tries. New Zealand, I think, were in general a little bit disappointing. And just from the highlights, what what did you make of the, this match? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it definitely raises more questions about New Zealand than answers. I mean, they, they didn't go in with maybe their strongest team, but not their, certainly not a weak team. Um, still had Richie Moanga, and um, you know, I suppose who's been the, the key person highlighted as the difference maker there. Um, yeah, and, and to be 
within touching distance of a last you know, going into the last couple of minutes of the game is, is definitely going to be a scare for them considering I think their their previous closest result was like I don't know 30 points or something yeah it's like huge I mean they've, they've traditionally just dominated and you would think that they've got the type of players to just walk over a team like a Japan um, so the fact that they didn't is then obviously shows signs of both Japan's uh, improvement and I don't think we should lose sight of that but also just that New Zealand are still a bit not sure where they are. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, massive props to Japan. They had some players that did incredibly well. Um, their lock um, and their center. And then, you know, the traditional guys like him and who had a massive game. Matsushima had a really good game. Um, but yeah, I think that the two really big worries for New Zealand coming out of this is red, another red card. The discipline is just shocking. So that's a loss to losing Retallic. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, losing uh, Sam Kane to broken cheekbones, so he's probably going to miss the tour as well now. Um, so, so that's two kind of first-choice players in theory that they've lost in this game, um, which is not a good sign for them. Um, but yeah, I suppose it opens up opportunities for other things, for other players to shine. Yeah, for sure. I think I'd agree with that. Um, I think one good, one relatively better piece of injury news for New Zealand was that um, Dane Coles is, is out and Takiyahu has more of a chance to play. I think right now it just makes no sense to me how you can even consider playing someone like Dane Coles ahead of Takiyahu. Um, is there considerations of that? I thought Takiyahu was kind of clear-cut first choice by now, surely. I, I, I think Coles is not necessarily in the picture, but I, I don't. I, I think Cody Taylor is still probably in the reckoning, seeing that he wasn't even in the squad this week. You know, they held back a lot of their... Um, very first choice players. So we'll see. I think we'll see with their lineup this weekend, even though they're playing Wales. I was going to say only playing Wales. I didn't want to sound too condescending. But uh, yes, I, I don't know. Japan Wales would be a pretty close game, I feel. Um, I, yeah, I just want to ma- mention that one try. I think maybe you mentioned with the center, it was uh, Dylan Riley who had the pass, sort of the chicken wing is passed out the back which was really nice to see um just seeing some of those tries that japan scores always always yeah. uh, fun it's, it's a very good point though i don't know i reckon wales would quite comprehensively beat japan much more than new zealand would because just because wales play such a suffocating strangling type of game you know i don't i just don't think japan would get the space they need to thrive in that in a fixture against Wales, just like I think Japan. I mean, obviously Brighton aside, yeah. um, you know they they struggled against us the last couple of times they played us because um, you know, they just don't have the physicality and the the space um, that they they might want against or can create against other teams. Um, so yeah, I think they would be an interesting fixture, but I would think Wales probably they would Wales wouldn't score 38, but I don't think uh, Japan would score 31. Yeah, against Wales. Yeah, I think you're right. Like how generally when the Springboks play Wales, it, it's always a tough game just because Wales are able to sort of make it a tight match. I, I think that would happen and, and Wales would attempt, like you said, to suffocate Japan. But it would be an interesting one. I don't know if they've played recently. Maybe I need to check. Sure, I can't even remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other game was even closer than the New Zealand-Japan match that we saw on Saturday evening. Um, Australia travelled to Scotland and the final score was 16-15, but only after Blair Kinghorn, after scoring a try early in the game, um, missed a last-minute penalty. So I think um, Australian fans would have been relieved to hang on for the win, whereas Scotland fans would have 
you know, um, even though they were missing some of their players who are not Scotland based, will have been disappointed to not be able to pull that one home. Um, I think especially given that, uh, yeah, they had the chance to win. And against Australia, they've, I think Scotland is still playing, you know, uh, the likes of, I'm not 100% sure, but I think New Zealand and South Africa, they would have looked at this one as a very winnable fixture. Um, yeah, I think, I'm not sure who they, their roster is. It doesn't include us. It's made, I think if they play Argentina again, because okay. um, they were after their tour, so they definitely play Argentina again. And then I don't, uh, the Kiwis play... I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it, it will be interesting to see like how they go the rest of this tour. I mean, because you know, they're, they're foreign-based guys. It's not that many of them. You know, if you think about who they're bringing in, um, uh, it's guys like uh, Adam Hastings at, at 10, which will make a difference. Um, Finn Russell's obviously not included, yeah, which was the kind of big talking point. Hard. Hog is that good? Hog at 15. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's again, it's just like they're suddenly bringing in like you know, insane talent. It's not, you know, they're definitely not as deprived as say the Springboks would be if they don't have their overseas based contingent. Um, which again will be something we get to in a little bit. Um, yeah, I think I think the, the, the both teams didn't play particularly well, unfortunately. I mean, it did look like a game between two kind of lower ranked teams, uh, which you know is what it was. <laughs> So, yeah, I, mean, I don't think we can be too complimentary either way. I think there were, you know, signs of promise from both sides. Like, as you say, that um, try from King, King was really nicely taken. I mean, Tate had some really nice touches early on and then was completely suffocated out the game. Um, I think what really stood out to me was Scotland's breakdown work. I mean, they just completely mangled Rosies every time Rosie got into their 22. They just got a turnover and yeah. kind of defeated the point. Um so yeah, it's, it's tough to even say who was maybe the better team on the day. Like I think, I think during the game I was kind of saying maybe Australia, but it, I don't think they played particularly well either. <laughs> yeah, whereas you were kind of like takeaways. It was that close of a game where I think um, either team would have been happy with the win because, like you say, it wasn't the greatest uh, quality. So I think. Australia come away take, with the win, knowing that they didn't play particularly well. So that's why I think I was saying, like, sort of relieved to to take the win. But even I think Scotland would have felt the same if they won. Like, there's, I like to think that there's so much more that both of these teams can produce in terms of quality. So, I mean, there's just under a year now before the World Cup. And, of course, we want to see, uh, like, our teams do as well as they can. But in terms of the overall quality of the tournament, I think just seeing teams come in and be best that they can do. And I think the, both of these two teams have a long way to go in that regard. And there's not that long in terms of time. So even, I think, um, in the next few matches, we'll see big improvements. And I think, yeah, from Australia, it's always a tough one. I mean, we've spoken about, you know, throughout the rugby championship a bit like how they've been so up and down. So I wouldn't say that this is one of their major ups just because they weren't that good, but like they have the, we've seen even this year, their capability capability to be so much better. So I'm hoping that in the next few weeks they'll, they'll improve. Yeah. I mean, from an Australian perspective, I mean, this, this really was one of the ones they needed to target. Um, they've got a very tough tour. Um, as well so you know starting off with a win 
is, is obviously a good start. Um, so I'll be quite buoyed by that. Um, but, you know, the pressure doesn't get, get any easier because they're playing, um, what, I think, France this weekend. So you know, they yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely does not get easier for them. Um, so, yeah, look, it was cool. I mean, I was, I was kind of supporting Australia uh, just because I like the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I think that's where I've kind of ended up as my, where I draw my lines. So, so, um, so did you want New Zealand to be Japan? Given that Japan are a Northern Hemisphere team, like yeah, but, but they're but but they but they're like a fun team though. They're the same with same with same with like Georgia. They're like a fun team. Yeah, yeah. They they don't quite count. Um. <laughs> yeah. So moving on from the matches that we've seen to perhaps some of the matches coming up um, during the week, the the Springboks squad got announced. But in addition to the Springboks squad, we also saw an SAA squad. Um, announced at the same time, which is made up of 20 players. So the intention is that uh, some of the Springbok squad who aren't named in the f in the match against... Uh... <laughs> uh, my, my We're playing players. Ireland. <laughs> yes, of course. They're playing Ireland this week. So some of the players who aren't named in the squad for the Ireland match this weekend will go down to the SAA squad who are playing against Munster on Thursday night. So. Um, yeah, that should be really interesting. And we also saw today the Springbok um, 23 that was announced with a little bit of surprise, but um, not too much. I think probably the biggest surprise was seeing Cheslin Colby announced as the fullback. Um, we haven't, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, Ant, but I don't think he's ever started a game for the Springboks at 15. No. I think yeah. there was lots of shouts, shouts for it during the World Cup when Willie was playing a bit dodgily on it. Um, but no, as far as I know, he hasn't started at 15. Um, I mean, obviously played 15. I think he started out at 15 for the Stormers. Um, more than he was a wing. He's out, in France, he's been more of a wing. Uh, obviously, for Springboks, he's been a wing. But I mean, yeah, he's you know, got no shortage of back three experience um, and, and full back experience. I think the really interesting thing is to have him and Kirtley Aronso. That's two very similar types of players, two very small players in a back three. Um, so it's a very interesting one thrown over to the Irish and being like, cool, kick to our back three and chase hard because if you don't chase hard, we're going to step the living daylight out of you. Um, no, so it's, it's a very interesting challenge we've thrown to them from that perspective um, and, and could become very exciting uh, if those two start to link up and, and jink about a bit. Yeah, I really hope the weather's decent and we get to see some of that uh, linkage and running play between uh, even Mapimpi on the left. Like, um, it's just a super exciting prospect. And I know you're not the biggest fan of uh, Jesse Krill, who's still named as the 13. I, I don't really think there was any other choice, unfortunately, no. perhaps. Um, but well, maybe if he gets injured, then we can get Hanko van Weyck for the next three tests. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think if we see any injury. We'll see what probably Dialenda move out one and. I mean, we saw how that went, though. Yeah, this perhaps they'll still back it, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we saw quite a number of um, interesting names in the SAA squad. I think for me, it was interesting to see a sort of mix of looking to the towards the future and a combination of that with sort of just spreading the depth. So we've got some older names, some names like Cornell Hendricks, Sikambuza uh, Notche. So these guys are in their 30s already. And then guys like you mentioned, Henko van Beek, um, 
who's really young. Sazi Sandy, who's also as a prop, he's very young. And then guys like young Hendrik, yeah, yeah, Jan Hendrik Vessels, um, and then guys who have been in the uh, Springbok squad before, like Fassi and um, and Grant Williams, and and those sort of guys who have touched, who like have some time in the main squad but haven't really like been able to cement themselves so i mean just on that it's interesting that there are six scrum offs selected across the two squads this is mad it doesn't Um, make any sense to me it just means that people aren't going to get enough game time or any game time surely yeah it's an interesting one because i mean you'd you'd think fuff and probably Jaden. well probably i mean you would have thought that fuff and kubis were locked in for the world cup and it seems like Jaden has now kind of planted himself as the third choice, um, which so I'm quite comfortable with those three. And I don't know, don't know if there's much that Herschel, Nahamba or Grant Williams can do to break into that top three by next year. But, you know, the fact that they've got three backups is really interesting that they obviously don't quite know where their head is. Um, you know, because you'll probably see, you know, I mean, I mean, Fassman and Kulis probably won't lock, you know, survive past the World Cup. Um, so, you know, maybe they're just looking looking at that from that perspective. Um, it would be nice if they'd shown that kind of foresight with fly-offs at some stage. Um, you know, which was, that was one of the big chart talking points was obviously Jordan Hendrickson not making it. Um, but you've got Manny Lobok and Johan Kursen. And Willemso being designated as a 10 and not a utility back as he has been previously. And then, yeah, Gianni Lombard is obviously also in the SAA squad. So there are yeah. a few more options. I mean, I, I don't think that someone like Kulis Reina despite not being in the starting twi- or the match 23 for this weekend, I, I, I don't think that he's going to drop down to the SAA squad. So I think the, yeah, three, I mean, I think they're, the three that they're are very comfortable to he is, yeah. Yeah, they're just going to rotate and like each get a half, basically, because I think they're just playing the two matches. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, some of the other names, you've got Andre Hugo, Hugo Fenter. Um, he's also, you know, obviously a young player who's been putting his hand up for the Stormers. Um, Pepsi Butelezi, who... I always think that he's younger, but he's he's getting on a little bit now. He's been in the Sharks setup for a long time now, and he's been. Oh, yeah, he's what twenty three? I think twenty four when I looked. Yeah, so but maybe twenty three, twenty four, that sort of age. So still obviously very young, but uh, yeah, twenty three. But, uh, but yes, but not a spring chicken anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, he still has a potential international future if he can keep on building, and. Um, I think I mentioned I was perhaps surprised or maybe disappointed uh, that Ruan Nokia is in the SAA squad, but they do have five locks in the main squad. And I think you mentioned that even though Jason Jenkins is there, he's sort of uh, number four rather than a number five. Um, but, you know, Murat and Ari are both there. So neither of those two are in the 15 or the 23 for this weekend. So perhaps we'll see some people drop down to the SAA squad for the Thursday match. I mean, I, I definitely would rank Jenkins and Nokia above both Ori and um, and Murat, personally. I, I haven't seen much from either of them that is particularly outstanding or that I like. Um, so, you know, that's... I kind of long felt that way, and I haven't really ever seen anything to change my mind on that. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I will. At some stage, but you know, you've seen lots of good stuff from Jenkins and Nokia, so that that would be my preference as as a result. But um, no, I think that the, there's definitely a mix of looking to the future. I mean, if you look at some of the really young guys that got on there, um, you know, like Hartenberg, he's just come out of nowhere to make the squad, and obviously, and Gomezelu, like he's been 
this year, I suppose, maybe at least. But no, he's still only played, what, two or three caps for the Stormers, and he's now in the Springbok main squad. Um, and I don't think anyone's doubting that he will get there eventually, but it's interesting he's been drafted in so soon, especially when you've got someone like a Lombard or a Jordan Hendrickson, which have got some of the ped- pedigree um, that haven't made it into the the senior um, the senior squad. So, yeah, but uh, for me, I think the, the Hartenberg selection is very interesting. Yeah, I think, like, out of youngsters and maybe with a little bit of a Lions bias, I was perhaps a, just a little bit disappointed that um, Ron Fento wasn't included. Maybe also just the fact that there aren't any, like, proper blindsides, I think, in the in the SAA squad. So looking at that position as one for the future, um, I would have liked to see... But perhaps it's a bit early for him, so I'm not too disappointed, but it could have been nice. Yeah, I mean, he's only kind of just arrived on the scene, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously we we don't have an island team out just yet, uh, as has become um, normal these days. The Springboks have released very early, and we'll wait possibly even until Friday to see what the opposition um, do. But... Um, are you are you positive, Ant? How 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 are you feeling for this weekend? If you had to put your neck on the line. Oh, jeez. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, France beat Ireland in a close game, and we are a very similar team to France. Um, we just don't get the same plaudits for our occasional backline play that they do. But you know, I think. What has been shown is that you can beat a Leinster and a, and a um, Irish team by being incredibly physical and brutal up front. Um, the French have done it. La Rochelle did it to Leinster um, and even the All Blacks in the first game. And that's obviously our strength. Um, so I think if we can fire and we've definitely you know, picked as strong a team as we possibly can pick, that bench forward pack is is yeah, quite um, exciting. Uh, so if those guys can fire, then yeah, I would think we can we can do it. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't put money on it either way. I, <laughs> I feel like we just have a habit of you know not quite firing on full cylinders. But yeah, I certainly think we we should be the favourites. Albeit yeah. marginally. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is that um, they, the Springboks haven't played a match in Ireland since 2017. So that's like 2018. 2018. So 2017, like, sorry, you're right. The, the, yeah, when we lost by. Yes, when, uh, like when Rossi was in the stand and he decided, okay, I need to do something. That's sort of immortalized in the Chasing the Sun documentary now. So. Um, yeah, uh, we we haven't seen this version of the team because I think that's a completely different Springbok team, that 2017 version. So we haven't seen yeah. them play in Ireland. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting. And especially, I think, with um, without Vili at the back, uh, like Colby, I, I don't necessarily think he's not a tactical kicker or anything. But obviously, when someone looks at Colby, you just see his strengths. And his major strength is his agility and running ability and that sort of thing. So... We'll see how that shapes up this weekend, but I, it's a really exciting, um, yeah, lineup 
in general, and I and I can't wait to see how it goes against Ireland. And I'm also very excited to see the name the names that they pick to face this framework to see if there's any surprises as well. I mean, I, I don't think there would be. I, mean, I think you'd probably see the standard crew rolled out. I mean, they're going to go full strength. Obviously, this is a really big marker for them too. You know, we're in the same pool and stuff. So I think I think this 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 autumn international tour in general is really lining up to be very spicy. Um, and I think with South Africa and New Zealand coming across it, one, three and four instead of the traditional one, two type situation, you know, we're playing France, um, we're playing Ireland, like some very spicy fixtures uh, to kind of lay down markers. It was interesting listening to a chat with John Smith this week saying that he probably would have gone with a depleted Springbok team for those tests to remove some of the like emphasis on it, some of the gravitas remove some of the, the mental advantage that potentially um, you know the other teams could get if they got the win um, and remove some of the pressure. But yeah, I, I think I think that's not quite Rusty's way. Rusty's way is much more back the team yes. get the win. So yeah, it, it it's exciting. I think all the matches are very cool. So you know there's lots of intrigue and lots of side stories. Um, so keen to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, with that, I think we can just finish off by quickly looking at some of the other fixtures and, and grabbing a quick prediction from you, Ant. Um, so, like we mentioned, Australia playing France. Well, before, France. before we get there, what's your, what's your bet on this Africa versus Ireland? <laughs> you didn't that, put your neck on the line. That's fair. Um, I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling confident. Um, I, I, I think that the Springboks are going to pull it out. Um, so not so confident that it's going to be a blowout or anything like that, but I'm comfortable saying uh, Springboks to win by, by a try also, by seven. Okay, um, I like that. I appreciate that optimism. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, of course. It's, um, I, I mean, Ireland, as a, as a squad, obviously haven't played for a while now since the mid-year internationals, so I, I like to think that the Springboks will have a bit more momentum and we'll see how that pans out um, on Saturday afternoon. So we mentioned France, Australia. So France probably the favourites in that one. Do you think France are gonna take that one home? Yeah, by like twenty. I think Australia. I, I think it might be closer. I think Australia, you know, like we were saying, up and down, and I think they might be able to pull a performance out the bag. But I worry that even if they do, it's not gonna be enough. So I think I'm picturing it being a bit closer, but uh, France to still take the win. No, I, I unfortunately, yeah, don't agree. I think, <laughs> I think France are going to come out firing and kind of roll over the Aussies. All right. Uh, what about Wales hosting New Zealand in the earlier game before the Island Springboks game on Saturday afternoon? And, uh, yeah, well, that's a different kettle of fish. Um, yeah, I mean, if Wales, I think it'll be close. I think we, we might see us like, you know, each score under 20, so like a 17, 13 type game. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Wales, after how they played against us, um, if they've got their good players available, um, obviously Biggers injured, um, quite a few of their players are injured, but so quite a few of the All Blacks players. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it'll be quite close and... I mean, you would expect the All Blacks to take it, but I wouldn't think it would be the most shocking thing to see a Wales upset. Wow. 
I, I would be shocked. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I think that despite New Zealand and all their struggles that they've experienced this year, I can't see anything but you know, a bigger margin perhaps than you're expecting. Maybe not too big, but a little bit bigger. But yeah, we'll see. I think some of the other notable games, um, the first game on Friday evening, I don't know if we're going to get a chance here, is Island A are playing the All Blacks 15. So the All Blacks 15 obviously made up most of mostly of other Super Rugby players who haven't quite made the main squad. Um, we've got Scotland and Fiji. I think that's the sort of lunchtime game on, on Saturday. That could be really interesting. Um, and then there's other games. England are playing Argentina on Sunday. And then we have Georgia, Uruguay, um, Spain, Tonga, and Italy, Samoa, and Romania, Chile. Out of those games, Ant, uh, anything that you're really looking forward to? Perhaps Argentina beating England? I mean, that would be lovely. Again, spicy fixture because they lined up. And not, they're not sure if they're in the same pool, but they are, I think, due to play in the quarters maybe. Um, so that's you know, a very exciting lineup. I mean, I don't see Argentina doing it, but, you know, I mean, if Czech is ever someone to get a winner over an unexpected rival, uh, it'll be an old Randwick club mate, um, Eddie Jones. So that would be cracking. I mean, Scotland, Fiji should be just a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and I think if they both just let loose and play flary, it could be a very, very cool game. Um, yeah, I mean, Fiji could take that. Maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe I'm just being overly optimistic all around there. But, I mean, yeah, if we could see... See, uh, Argentina beat England and Australia, um, Scotland lose to Fiji. That would be a, a very cool day out. I'd be very happy with that set of results. <laughs> I think uh, this time next week when we recap some of the first week's international results, we'll have a, a better idea of where these teams are at, you know, the first fixtures in a while. Um, I thought you were going to say you were just going to call me out for all of my necessary optimism. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, yeah. Um, Fiji, you know, I'd love to see it, and they're always a bit less predictable. I th so England are in the same group as Argentina, um, so that that does make that quite spicy. Um, I think England at home is just too strong, but you know maybe England, Argentina, and France is a different. I mean, look, you would have said you would have said uh, New Zealand at home are also too strong for Argentina. So this is true. Yeah, Argentina yeah. sometimes they just travel a little bit better, so perhaps we'll see some. Yeah, but I, I really like watching Argentina, so I'm definitely keen to watch that game on Sunday. Um, and we'll see I'm how it goes. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's. I like it's this good. time of year because you really can just sit on the couch from like lunchtime all the way through till midnight and just not feel bad and just be excited about every single game that comes on. It's, yeah. it's. I do enjoy this time of the year. I think yeah, this week there's like some really nice fixtures. I think it's next week, which is like the supposed big week where all of the fixtures just line up in there, like all really, really good games in a row. I think culminating with France against South Africa. I'm not sure if it's next week or the week after. But um, Yeah, no, we, we play we play France. I mean, our tour is ridiculous, actually. If you think about it, uh, Ireland, France. I think we play Italy, so we have like one easy game, and then we play England, but outside of the test window. Right. Yes, um, that's right. So it's like, yeah, it's a properly gnarly tour. Um, I mean, but, you know, that's, that's what we need to be good, exactly. Especially because the World Cup, I think, is in Europe as well. Like, just preparing to travel at this time of the year, see how they can sort of deal with being away from home for like a month. Or... Yeah, although, I mean, traveling traveling's never been, been something we've struggled with, fortunately. Um, yeah. 
yeah, so, I mean, really exciting. So, obviously, we'll keep an eye on all the results and we'll be back next week. We will hopefully be able to tell all the good tales about a Springbok victory over Ireland. But even if not, um, we'll hopefully have some insight into where things went wrong. But uh, either way, we shall see you next week. And, and thanks for joining. And, uh, yeah, have a good rugby weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Yes.